This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. Later on the show, we'll be talking to Kat Marnell, who may seem like an odd choice for the podcast since Kat is not yet over 40. She's 38. And also, to be clear, uh, we have history together. Kat and Kim and I all work together at Lucky Magazine. Yes, and she's a person who some of you requested as a guest as well. And if you don't know Kat, she's a former beauty editor and a writer and a memoirist. And most famously, she wrote a book called How to Murder Your Life, which sort of details her struggle with drug addiction uh, while she was at women's magazines and specifically while she was at Lucky Magazine. And I just thought it would be really interesting not only to check in with her to see how she is now, but also to talk about that time, which we never talked about before. Because I don't know about you, Kim, um, but I always found Kat to be deeply relatable. Uh, I never struggled with anything as extreme, but I found her really relatable as a as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she was for me too. I felt I had a lot of affection for her. That feeling of being a little bit of a hot mess is something I could relate to as well. Yeah, and for me too, I was a very messy person when I was at Lucky. And, you know, that sort of like being out of sync with the world, you know, lonely even when you're around people, that sort of kind of person that's like that, the unprocessed trauma of your 20s. You know, we all do different things to push those feelings away. 
some are more extreme like cat's drug addiction, but you know, I think both of us certainly struggled with pushing down a lot of feelings of self-loathing and feeling out of place. And I, I just really wanted to talk to her about all of that stuff. Yeah. And you know, something I didn't get to mention to her, but that we had spoken about beforehand, Jen, was that I always felt like Kat thought that her demons were the most interesting thing about her. And I don't feel like that's true anymore. No. And I quite frankly, didn't think it was true then. So I'm looking forward to letting listeners see a different side of Kat Marnell, who I am a huge fan of and love very much. Yep. Me too. We also have an exciting announcement. Uh, Kim and I have started a Patreon for Everything is Fine. Uh, if you don't know Patreon, it's a platform for creators. Um, it's a membership-based subscription service. So there are different tiers. If you give a $5 donation or a $10 donation, you get different things. Um, but we'll be offering a bunch of exclusive content, including exclusive episodes. We're also going to be doing some blogging over there, giving some fashion and beauty advice. We're going to be offering some deals there and just offering more opportunities to talk about what it's like to be over 40, also to sort of build more of our community. So if you want to head over to our Patreon, give us a couple bucks. It's um, patreon.com backslash everything is fine. Our guest today is Kat Marnell, author of the New York Times bestselling memoir, How to Murder Your Life and the audiobook Self-Tanner for the Soul. She's also a former beauty editor at Exo Jane and Lucky Magazine, where she worked with me and Jen. Kat's new beauty column, Beauty Shambles, is now available on Patreon. Kat, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so um, honored to be here. Where are you right now and how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am in my apartment in Tribeca. I'm doing really well. It's a beautiful morning or afternoon. I'm drinking a little CBD seltzer with a big pot leaf on it, which is a little disconcerting as I don't smoke weed. <laughs> Slightly triggering. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was never my issue. I wish. The pothead girls I know just like smoke weed and clean their houses. That was never my issue. How is it being in New York for you? I know that you weren't there for a long time. Is that, is that, how does that feel for you? Um, at first, you know, I came back in uh, June of 2020, weird time, but, uh, but at first it was overwhelming in ways like now that I'm not, um, you know, a drug addict <laughs> or a party person. And I came back and I was 37 and, um, it was just hard knowing who to hang out with, but I've made all these great new friends. I've been here almost a year now. And I guess for media, as a media person, it's just been excellent because the thing about New York is that the current just carries you. Like mm -hmm. your career just seems so effortless when it's all sort of clicking and you're meeting people. And so that's that's been going so well. And my creativity and my focus is so good. And that's, and my, and also peace. You have to just protect yourself. For a while, people here, uh, were kind of on me to hang out and do stuff I didn't want to do, but they get it now. <laughs> That's good. Are you in the program? I am not. I'm, I'm not in recovery, uh, but I've drastically changed my life. I think there are a lot of ways of 
being abstinent that aren't increasingly that aren't the 12 step program, which I have a lot of respect for, but isn't for everyone. Right. And look, things could be better. I think that the ideal situation is being in the program. And that being said, <laughs> I'm proud of where I am. Um, it's been huge. I'm just completely, completely um, different in so many ways. Mainly the thing that I've come to understand is how much drugs took my energy. I had mm-hmm. this internal belief or this core belief that they gave me energy. And all I care about is energy. That's like gold to me, you know? And once I realized that they were making me tired, um, even amphetamine was making me exhausted. That's when I was just like, oh, like never again. It's like, po- I mean, it's literally poison. You're just taking it and you might as well be taking arsenic. And so that was the moment that you decided to become abstinent when you felt like you were, you had no energy or was there another turning point? It was three years abroad. Um, I had the luxury. I mean, I wasn't traveling in a luxurious way, uh, but I did the thing where I just left. Things got so bad that I just did the last thing that I could think of. And, you know, they would call it a geographical changing mm-hmm. your location, but it really did just because it was so long and it was so far away. I just, it was impossible. I couldn't just get, you know, for a while I was trying, I was having Adderall sent to me, you know, and it was ridiculous. Um, but over the years, I just stopped taking it. Um, I weaned myself down over years and years and years. And by the time I just felt so good. And a lot of that was getting up, you know, you have to check out of a hotel at like 11 a.m. and be with your suitcase. I was being so physical and in my body. And I just, it, it just, I really changed my life. And then I came back and uh, it's actually, it's been really good. And exercise is a huge, huge, huge part of my life that keeps me um, quite healthy. What are you doing for exercise? Yeah, what am I not doing? I just bought these. <laughs> I just bought these kung fu rings like yesterday, like these metal ones that you put on your arms. They're like the arm weights. I'll do anything. I love equipment. I love, you know, it's interesting. A lot of fitness people from YouTube are going on Patreon, but Pop Sugar. I, I really believe in working out in your house because then you just do it. I use Kit Rich, who's this, who's Jennifer Lawrence's trainer, like Kesha, and she's just th- her her philosophy is. 30 minutes a day to affect the other 23 and a half hours. And that's something sustainable you can do. And that's like Pilates and cardio. I just do basic stuff. I used to do Barry's boot camp, and I used, I got into that class. Me and Jane Pratt were in that class pass addiction. We're the reason that it became not possible to be an unlimited subscription. We abused it. <laughs> I would see Jane Pratt, like I would be like, Jane, and she would be at the weird, I don't know how to pronounce it, gyrotronic place, you know, like getting her like legs spread by an old Slovakian man, like up on like Second Avenue at 1 p.m. And I'd be like, Jane. And she's like, oh, like, she's like, this is my second class of the day. I'm like, me too. Oh my God. We were so into it. We went everywhere. That's all those fitness studios, you know, I learned about every thing but Barry's is really the best I'm about to drop some money on that again what I think sounds so great Kat is that this decision to to step away from drugs it it happened but it wasn't your intention to make it happen like you it wasn't forced it felt it wasn't like an forced. organic sort of passage of time thank right? you like Jen we're, we're getting older you're in your body your body's responding to drugs probably a little bit differently it's 
you start feeling like a little bit more uh, self-preservation and that sort of helps you get on the path to growth. I mean, that's my experience with this. Mine was always booze, but I, I get all of that, that all of a sudden you're like, oh, this isn't working anymore. And it's either you take that turn toward, I'm going to keep doing this, even though I know it's not working anymore, or you decide to finally turn the other way. You know, it's so interesting. When you guys knew me, I was so young and I started at Lucky. I thought I was so old to be an assistant, you know, but that's because the assistant game at Condé is like, oh, like this girl graduated early from Barnard. She's almost like she's 21 years old and like now she's the assistant, you know, and I think I was, I think I turned 24 my first year there because I was, I was stuck at Glamour for like two years. Anyway, you know, you're coming, that's like the most hardcore adult child part of the life you're only five years away from 18 and you've never learned to be your own parent or you've never known since you started doing drugs what it's like to be off of them i mean i just i know now how delicate the ecosystem of a human being is spirituality emotion the physical body like the idea of taking an adderall is a horror show to me right now i would stress about it for like weeks after and like entered a, a depression because I'd be like oh like you know I would hate it but back then it was just my normal but it was so much and the sleep the sleep deprivation more than anything else uh especially at Lucky because if you can sleep off a drug problem every day and not show up to things you're you can do much better but I showed up every day yeah I mean I think that that's you know first off I think it's a little bit of being afraid of yourself you know, in your twenties, like you don't really know yourself and you're afraid and you have a lot of stuff that you're still processing. And I think we, we all process that in different ways, depending on how big our bullshit is. Right. And the yeah. other thing I think about lucky that I think is so interesting is that you took that job so seriously. And I understand that. And I was, I was reading, rereading your book this week. And I was, I was reading the part about you staying up overnight to write Secret Ingredient. Oh I remember how stressed out I felt too about every sentence <laughs> because it was going in print. Oh my God. You know? The byline. And I was like, there's a line in the book where I'm like, I know you young people don't understand, but because now they just have the young people writing everything. But back then you couldn't, that was the big deal. You weren't supposed, the assistant was not meant to be writing because she couldn't handle two jobs and Jean didn't want her work sacrificed. It was this big deal that I got to do it. And oh God, I still, I have physical memory, the clamminess and the, like the, you know, when you don't sleep and you're swollen, like yes. just being able to press my, press my hand on my face and have it sink in like two inches out. Oh, the, 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 and I honestly, I look at myself back then as truly a child. Um, but yeah, I did care so much. I still care I don't, about work. I'm not saying that's actually the right thing for anyone, but that was the best and the worst like time of my life in so many ways. Well, let's talk a little bit about Lucky because Jen and I were talking a bit about this and everything you went through while you were there. And she asked me if I thought if I had any regrets about the way you were handled at Lucky and if we enabled you. And I don't know what your answer to that is, but after a long time, I've come to the realization that I think we did enable you. I think we enabled you with love. <laughs> like we kept thinking that if we just kind of gave you lots of love and infinite patience, that that was going to make things better. But I know enough about addiction now to know that wasn't going to do it. 
I think the thing that maybe I didn't get across, and I thought about this over the years strongly enough in the book, was how much I lied. Because now I don't lie. Or but when I became, quote unquote, Kat Marnell, the addict in the newspaper, I was telling the truth. When I worked at Jane, I was telling the truth. Back then, everything was a lie. And so I've lived that addict life. Now it's like, oh, you're so open. I'm like, yeah. There was a lot of self-preservation for that job. Jean, I would tell her, and also I was manipulative, like as much as like a, an adoring 25 year old can manipulate an older person, um, just because I was so needy and sick. And I put Jean in this position of um, this mothering role uh, probably all of these women, uh, I will say mommy issues are, I would say daddy issues are for amateurs. Like I have a few mom issues, <laughs> but like if I look at Condé Nast and what it came to be for me, it was like forcing these women to be in these maternal roles that I forced on them. And Jean just, poor Jean just wanted to show up and just fucking look at her beauty products and, you know, drink her grande organic misto. But <laughs> I was just like, Ugh! you know, and I would tell her. We should mention that Jean was your boss, Jean Godfrey. Yeah, Jean Godfrey, um, who, the best but I would tell her I'm not on drugs I have an insomnia insomnia I would I would lie and I when I didn't have to and so I was I was uh keeping myself there yeah I, I addicts are liars they're liars and sneaks they just are they can be lovely people but they will lie until the end of time you know I I remember believing you when you came back from rehab that you were better you know, at a time when you weren't, I do think we were all forced into a maternal position with you. And, 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 and in a way that is kind of a nice, I mean, so this is a kind of a weird thing to say, but you found, your, you know, better that you were lucky than GQ when all that happened. Well, or glamour or like, or like something like glamour, which was like all good girls, like lucky was the Island of misfit toys in a lot of ways. Right. Oh, that's why it was, when I got, you have no, like, I mean, in Condé Nast, I always felt so out of place in this weird way, even though it was where I wanted to be, but lucky. Yeah. And I remember Kim, you were the first one to call me out. You were like, you're a dirtbag. I was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> you like, we're just noticing things. <laughs> no, <laughs> but you know what? What I love about Condé is that they value creativity. And so you can have people like Mayor Russ coming in, like, I shouldn't take name names. You could have people reeking of weed in like a white fur coat, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like just being like, you know, in so many ways, it taught me how to put my best foot forward as a woman. Um, gosh, like when Me Too and stuff started, I was just like, I'm just, that's why all women should work in women's magazines. We just laughed at men. We didn't talk about them. No. Like no. if like some straight man had told us how to be, like we, it would have been a joke. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, when Me Too happened, I was like, I have precisely one Me Too moment of my entire career. It was at Condé Nast, and I'll tell the story. Why not? But I won't name names. I went to go talk to someone on the corporate floor about my home loan because I was getting a divorce, and they had stopped giving these very famous, very low-interest home loans, and I was trying to see if I could get my grandfathered in. So I was talking to this executive about it and I was explaining that I was getting divorced and he looked at me and said, I'll be your husband. And I was like, I was like, ha ha ha, already had one of those. See you later. Whoa, it's so weird. I know. I remember mine was, um, 
had nylon, Marvin Scott chair. So Charlotte Rudge, my dear friend who I just won an award. Oh, we love Charlotte. We love Charlotte. She was late and I was, this is my first ever internship, my first ever in beauty internship. And Marvin Scott Jared was the editor in chief. And he, he always shot one page in the magazine, right? And so I, Charlotte wasn't there and his model hadn't shown up. And he's like, hey, like, would you be willing to do the photo? Um, and I was like, sure. You know, I was just organizing Charlotte's glamorously messy desk. And then it was a pair of underwear. And I was supposed to do it that afternoon. And Charlotte finally rolled in. And I told her, I was like, oh, I'm doing this for Marvin. And she's like, nope. And she yanked me inside. And she's like, you are absolutely not doing it. And, you know, it's one big room. So it was this whole thing. But so that, that was extremely sleazy. And it never happened. Yikes. And now a word from our sponsors. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. In the book, you 
you talk about starting working in magazines and it gave you hope that you didn't need to be trash anymore, right? And But there was a lot of really toxic workplace behavior that I think you defend a lot in the work, in the book, you know, and not necessarily at Lucky, but at other magazines. And that was definitely the culture, right? Of like, you know, Anna and, and all of the editors just treating younger people like shit, right? Do you think about that differently now? Because I, I think that we exploit young women's labor, at least we did. It's so funny. I have such a love of a Disney villain you know that it's so hard for me to like separate you know I think of these conduct like I always have this term in my head like predator-in-chief or like you know all this right. stuff I just love these like horrible glamorous women screaming at people Cruella de Vil, Anna Winter whomever that I live for that stuff almost in a campy way and so it's hard for me to say I loved it and it's not for everyone but I know that I can't get away with it now, but I would love to, I would love to berate a young assistant. Right. No, I mean, I get it. The thing is it was, the work was just totally different. It was familial. You felt connected to something. Like I was thinking I was at Lucky in total eight years. Like I left for a minute and then I came back. I, I can't even fathom being at a job for that long. Like I, it's, it was a totally different feeling. Like you were in and it was familial. And so you took some hits and you, you wanted, you were striving and it was just a totally different way to work. And even if your boss was like needlessly cruel, <laughs> you just were like, all right, well, I have also this sweet job that has some security. And also all the perks, just all the all perks, the perks yes. in the world. Unbelievable perks. Yeah. And I mean, if anything, the perks kind of enabled me the idea that I was, especially when I became an editor and stopped being Jean's assistant, I was picked up in town cars, you know, in the morning to go to things when I had not slept, you know, and I would just collapse into these. It was ridiculous. I never felt exploited, but I was definitely crazy. The things like glamour, the stuff that it was never that intense, but I had to do incredibly intense things. I don't know. It was almost like a reality show. Sometimes people just have you go like pick like there's a Teen Vogue scene in my book and, you know, they had me go get cupcakes. There's no reason not to send a car for the cupcakes or something, you know, like in the cold and you're on 11th Avenue or wherever Billy's is just like in these heels. And that was crazy. Well, there was a, there was a hazing, right? And there was a sense of like, you're paying your dues and you're doing what I did. I, I hope that didn't happen too much at Lucky. No, no, no. Lucky, <laughs> lucky was. <laughs> no, you can tell me the truth now. Jean could be tough. I love her. Yeah, but you know she could be tough. You know when that online department came in. <laughs> Jean was late to the digital game. Would be an understatement. Oh, she was so funny. I, the, the funniest, the funniest. <laughs> I described it as someone putting white out, how they handled digital. I described it as someone putting white out on a computer screen because it's not like... That little room that they built over near the fashion closet, yes. like that little strange room. It was like... A... <laughs> and I remember oh, Jean taking her red pen and editing copy for the website. And then you had to input all of those changes into each blog post. It was such insane, needless work. Um, but no, and you know, Kim, you were tough. You were exacting. Your standards were really high. You took what we were doing really seriously. And I mean, I, for me, it elevated me. And I think similarly for Kat with Jean. So even if you were tough, 
it was worth it for me because I became a better writer because of it. Oh, well, that's good. Good to hear. Everything for my writing is gene based. It's a nice straight up rip her up, not rip her up, but you know what I mean? Like I was taught by her. And it's so funny when people compliment like the kind of like the whimsy or the irreverence, like I always tell that, you know, it's like that was straight inherited from Jean and it's, and even when I was writing the book, you know, there's was nothing scarier to me. One part of the reason that talking to you guys now is so awesome. It's because, you know, when you publish, like, you, or you're doing it, you're like, this is maybe the worst thing I could do. None of these people would ever want to be in a book. Like, but because, but what did take over me naturally, like when I would sit down to work is that there is this tradition of writing, publishing memoirs, including that of, uh, by my boss, by Jean herself, who wrote um, Free Gift with Purchase, a book I read unbelievably so many times. And then also, you know, I've, every book I used to read, the, the Liz Tilburis and the uh, on and on and on. Um, I just felt that I wouldn't betray anyone. I also tried to follow Jean's rules of you don't suggest a negative. So I kind of write about people like they were beauty products and you just don't, because you don't, you, you write negative things about people as well when you go through it, but then you always get a chance to edit it down. But then it was in some ways it was at your own expense, right? I mean, I've noticed this in your, in your work, you're, you really give a lot of yourself. You're super generous with your readers. You're super generous with your subjects and you're open. And I think you see your own flaws in a really perceptive way, but I mean, writing's, always vulnerable making. And I do feel like you're really self-flagellating in your work in a way that is maybe not fair. Yeah, I'm really working on that, uh, especially, and that's something Jean, you know, Jean was always the one who said, don't say that. She would literally cut me off and say, if I started saying something bad about myself around her, she would, you know, the, 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 the stare of death like stop you know what I mean and I yeah keep that with me because and especially now as it becomes press things that I get pressed for like I think a lot of it in the beginning I didn't want people to be jealous of me um, that I had become this like famous writer all this stuff and and I would talk shit about myself in all of these articles and now I'm realizing that you know I do a lot of bimbo spirituality positive attraction and things and I'm like the things that I'm putting out become true if I keep talking about being an addict or being sick or being like this and that it's it's gonna stay that way how does it feel to be a person who people talk shit about like I'm thinking about an essay I read when you were working on um, how to murder your life and the author of the essay suggested that you would never finish the book because you're an addict and addicts are quitters you know it seems like you you attracted detractors pretty quickly or, or at least from the start. Why do you think that is? I would have deserved that had I not come through with the work. Mm -hmm. And what the big thing that I've done over, uh, show your work, show your work. But I didn't become, I luckily, when everything first happened for me, I was surrounded by a really, really strong friend group and I had a boyfriend and all this good stuff that helped me at that time. Now I have a little less of that, but luckily no one's, no one's saying um, bad things anymore so much. I, I mean but I, that was on me. You have to clean up a bit. I just want to clarify that I hate thinking of that sort of judgment as a doorway into anyone's success, right? And I think there is a through line between you, between like Elizabeth Wurzel, you and Caroline. I definitely think that. And I think this is a trope and I think it's a terrible thing. We 
kind of do to young women, the sort of the, the fixation on the mess, you know, when actually you're just sort of being wild and feral and in a way that men are allowed to be and women, we just treat in a different way. Well, here's the thing. I should have got like, when I think of the fame thing that happened to me, someone acting that crazy deserves fame in some weird way. It's such a, I could never like be out there doing things that I was, I was literally on drugs. And so I could be this very, in this wild situation, what happened to Exo James really just that I went on the internet in a way that I had never been, which I didn't want to do, but. Um... Yeah, can we talk about that? Can I just interrupt to talk about that? Because I had a spectacularly hard time with, with what happened to you at Exo Jane. I felt like you were really exploited there, that you were vulnerable and that you were producing work that was getting eyeballs and so everything it was all in the name of that and I stopped I started and stopped so many emails to you during that time Kat because I was so upset by it well here's the thing I didn't last there it wasn't a situation that people actually stuck with it was actually very short you know, and I, Jane and I had a real friendship. It was the first time I was ever in a position, you know, I used to think about you, Kim, and the people who would have your ear be the immediate, that was who I was with Jane for the first time. I had the access to the editor-in-chief. I could go in there for hours and really talk about every idea. And Jane was just like, this is great, you know, and that was the things that people don't see. You know, my real issue there outside of the drugs was just, Amy, uh, gosh, I forget her name, but from Vice was supposed to run the whole site. At the last second, she left for New York Times Magazine. Ryan McGinley got her a photo editor job and it became this. And so our, our managing editor was promoted. I mean, our sex columnist was promoted to managing editor and I just didn't like what the site was. So I was just unhappy the whole time. In terms of the exploitation, I know that's an easy thing to put on Jane, uh, but our friendship in our relationship, I just, I loved it. I had a great relationship with her and that's why I stuck around. Um, we really enjoyed each other and the work thing was kind of a ridiculous situation. I get it. I guess I just feel like, and you know, and I, and this isn't, I, I, I maybe I should just stop because I, there's no reason to badmouth anybody. And Jane Pratt gave me a big break in my career um, that I'm very grateful for. Well, I guess you hope that somebody who's older than the other person is has a little more of wise mind and is a little more protective of their employees and that that was her responsibility. And it wasn't your responsibility, Kat, it was hers. And just looking at it from an older perspective, you're like, huh, why didn't anyone take a step back and say, this is gonna be really painful for this person. I think we should shut this this thing down. You know, and I understand how hard it can be to make that statement because when I lost the thread in my own life, I wondered frequently why more people weren't taking me to task over that. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, it was, yeah, it was more, it was more like a reality show kind of situation. But I will say on the flip side, I used them back as well. Even when Jane relaunched the site, you know, they paid me in advance for like a ton of articles that I never came through with. It's, I've done bad things to Jane. <laughs> I have, and I feel bad. Right. 
the whole thing nothing's like nothing's easy nothing's tidy these things especially once we got into the internet and especially in those days when it was just about fucking numbers and just hitting the numbers more numbers so we can get some ads and nobody knew what they were really doing because we were print people and it was wild and kind of gross and I get that none of it's tidy (laughs) and and the other thing is you you know I get being you know having a friendship having an how do I put it like a boss a boss and bossed um relationship like being you know because Romolini and I became good friends at Lucky but that was also very complicated it was super complicated and painful <laughs> it was not yeah all it was around. not it was not it was not easy for me and I always had affection for you even when and yeah you're right about mom issues let's just say that <laughs> well Jane Jane really wanted me to get better because she wanted I mean Jane valued my brain so much well and so many people valued your brain cat and yeah. the fact that you're extremely charming and the fact that you're very funny and you're a person people want to be around and I think that that ended up you know people ended up making a lot of excuses for you mm-hmm. because of that because you were just like a magnetic person to have around and Romolini reminded me of the part of the book where um you come into work one day and you've fallen down or something and your, your <laughs> yeah. knees are bleeding and I see you and I say is everything okay and then Ray who was a, an assistant at Lucky a woman named Ray said to you something like if that wasn't you, you'd be so fired. Yep. I should have been fired a few times. Um, I didn't do Jean's response reports for eight months because I didn't know how. <laughs> she, until Gary, her husband at the time, called and said, hey, um, we're missing like $8,000 that should be in our account. And I was like, and Jane's like, cat. You know, but it was hard. Like, at that time, Jean was like, well, maybe Dawn could teach you how to do them. And I was like, oh, no. I um, <laughs> It was that was bad. Um, of course, you know, I opened the book with getting thrown out of Cirque du Soleil. That was for being drunk, falling down in front of everybody. That was a dove event. Uh, there was the press trip, the Procter and Gamble thing. That was uh, when I went out with Dolce and Gabbana fragrances. Once I really started representing the magazine in a horrendous way when I got promoted, and I wasn't in that little jean cat connection mm-hmm. I was out there and that was you know you show up to these events and you're representing Lucky Magazine it was atrocious and there's so so much that people didn't know the person who knew the most is really Christina who just was Christina Mueller who was our senior beauty editor at the time and that was uh, very difficult for her I have a ton of uh, remorse okay well just on that just so you know she wrote to me I told her I was interviewing you and she wrote to me to tell me how much she loved you and how much she 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 loved working with the nicest person in the world well she's she you know she said it was not easy working with you but she wouldn't give it up for anything like she really loved you you well it's real it's real we all loved you and i love that you disrupt the fucking beauty events because they were such fucking bullshit it was so horrible to go to them in some ways it was it was so contrived and weird and like all like the cookies shaped like doves. And like, it was, it was a very strange place to be just all women together for these products, this forced fun. 
I love that you were a mess in those because I think they were fucked up. So but shit, but I think Kat also liked them, right? Like you liked a lot of those events. I actually felt super uncomfortable. I felt comfortable at Lucky, but like I said, with everyone else, the publicists, whatever, I always felt like I was, um, I've always had that streak, you know, like I got kicked out of my boarding school. Anywhere that's a little fancy or together, I screwed up. Can we talk about shame? Because I've, I've dealt with a lot of shame in my life for times when I've screwed up and I know how um, suffocating that can be. How do you deal with that? You know, it's interesting in rehabs, they'll make you, they'll do a motions workshop and they have, it's, I forget how many primary emotions there are, seven or something, but they always get the first six you up on the board and no one can ever remember the last one is shame. And that's such a huge part of the human experience. I just know it was such a part of me back then. And I know that is probably the thing that's lifted for me the most these days. And probably that's what's keeping me healthy. But it was, it was horrible, a huge part of low self-esteem. And I'm trying to recognize it more so I can get rid of it. With Jean in particular, it was, you know, I called her one Christmas, I think, like a 18 months after I left Lucky, just like sobbing like crazy and then hung up on her because <laughs> I was crying so hard. And it was such a, it was the first time she'd heard from me, you know, uh, but I really loved her. And um, well, that really comes was, through in the book. Yeah. And, and she is so, you know, I just, I, I saw her in December, 2018, I went from Mexico, no, 2019. And I went from Art Basel to Mexico City and I met some friends. There. This is when I didn't have anywhere to live. So I was like, ah, oh, plane tickets. And I was eating at this nice Jean-esque restaurant, you know, all the fancy food places there that I would usually never go to, but I was with some friends and I was healthy and I was great. And I was at this trendy restaurant and, and someone goes, cat. And I turned, this is in Mexico City. And I turn and I'm like, Jean? And I could not, we literally screamed. She was with her boyfriend, I think. We, I just started crying and she was just right there in front of me in Mexico. And it was so amazing. And she's like, wait, I'm just getting, so we went and talked and she was just so happy to see me. We just like held hands and it was incredible. And it was, um, I had always said that if I, I forget what I say, I'd made some deal with myself back then. I had a certain amount of clean time that I would like ask her to lunch and then I never did it. I never got there, but <laughs> I saw her at a lunch. Yeah, that's some synergy right there. That's some like universe, yeah, like I know. helping you out there. I love that. Now we should probably talk about some beauty products, right, Jen? Yeah, I think we should. I mean, Kat, we can't have you on without talking about beauty. Oh, the only thing I guess, well, and we could talk about this too, but because this is a podcast for, you know, women over 40 and you're not over 40, let's be clear about that. I'm but 38. 38, now. you're close enough, but it's- how we should talk about aging a little bit. Like, how are you feeling now being, being, you know, how are you feeling in, in late 38 versus 26? Does it feel a lot different? That's the last time I saw you, by the way, you were 26. Oh my God. First of all, I looked so bizarre back then because I had zero self-care, like despite everything. So I look better now, of course, it's a very common thing. I think um, between the sleep deformation the greasy, uh, whatever was going on. 
the cutting off of my own hair back then, you know, just mm-hmm, anything. Right. Remember, I get the knots cut out of my hair, you know. But in terms of aging, you know, all of I had a friend jump off a building in April 2020. My a friend that I've had for 20 years, friend that I have, and I was lucky. And he, you know, a New York kid, and that was at 39. I um, you know that's the kind of like a cliched thing to say if somebody's like ask, ask you about aging, but he's always on my mind. Uh, these so I'm. And then I had another friend die of pancreatic cancer at 41. And so in that way, I feel really grateful to be alive. But of course, I'm still a woman and blah, blah, blah. I don't have kids that can stress. Sometimes I think about freezing my eggs. I don't know what I want. I will say that I'm a young writer. And so I can like lean into that. Uh, But, you know, I haven't gotten injections. I haven't done that stuff yet. I would. I need to start like shooting the, uh, the plane tickets I was buying compulsively into my face but of course i'm not you know gene would never gene wouldn't wouldn't let me get lip injections because you know uh, but yeah i haven't done that i think she was right i mean to be honest to be fair i think she was right on that you had a great face there was no reason to fuck it up yeah that would have been crazy to have your eyes and like lip injections would just you would you would have crossed the pantheon on into an anime character also i have a theory about blondes with injections it looks very like porn star. And the reason that someone like Kim Kardashian can have so much to her face or maybe Emirat or people like that is because they have dark hair. But the second that they have blonde, everything pops when you, that the work they've done. So I'll always be blonde. So you keep it subtle. I love, um, I glue on the biggest beauty thing that I've really changed with is learning how to do lashes for myself. And so gluing those and you have to do like three years of looking awful before you get good at it and just like announce to the room be like I did my lashes myself and they're bad but eventually you get good and that really changes your face and so but I always loved how Kareen Reutfeld aged like oh I have lines around my eyes I guess I'll pack on more black eyeshadow. Kat what do you want to do next like what is like what is you know what is the Kat Marnell of the future where are you in your 40s and 50s do you have those kinds of dreams for yourself yet? I'm actually, I don't really have a good answer for that because I, I think I would be, I think I'm very flexible and be happy with a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but it, the most important thing is that I sort of find people who I can, you know, hang out with as a healthier person. Kat, where can people find you who want to find you? I mean, I'm sure everybody knows where to find you, but in case our listeners don't, where can they find you? I'm on Patreon. And that's patreon.com slash Kat Marnell, but you can just search my name. Patreon is a $5, $6 subscription and it's once a week and it's long form. The columns are long with a lot of pictures. So are they beauty columns? Are they lifestyle and beauty columms? Are they a- Well, they, yes, they are. I haven't, I've been a little off with the, the lifestyle. Like I didn't mean to, you know, but I get my my style for, from Jean Copper June from like, you know, you write your life and then you put, something beauty in the end um, right, totally. ever. And I love her. Um, but a lot of them has been some travels to so far in the column. We've gone to Miami, we've gone to Havana, we've gone to Paris, NBA Paris. I love the NBA. Um, and then, but online also I'm on um, Twitter <laughs> and Instagram, <laughs> but you can just find my name. I have verified accounts to go, to go with the fake ones. 
Thank you so much for doing this, Kat. This was such a pleasure. I'm so glad to reconnect with you. It's, it was so nice. I and mean, we're big fans of yours. Oh my God. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. Our producer is Natalie Rivera. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and review it on all the platforms. You can follow the show's Instagram at EIF Podcast. Email us at everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail. And you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. We also now have a Patreon. It is patreon.com backslash everythingisfine. 